Greetings, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of The Decision Hour. I am your host, Adam Bird, and I got a great episode lined up for you today. I got my friend Adam. Yeah, I, it's the, today's show is called The Adam and Adam Show. That's what we're named. We're, we're calling this one The Adam and Adam Show. It's kind of like two detectives or something like that. Adam and Adam. You know what I'm saying? No. Um, <laughs> listen, I met this guy and his wife. Oh, it was a couple years ago. We met through a mutual friend, and um, they're not far from me, and I just love these guys. They're, they're, they're great people, and Adam's um, willing to jump on today to talk about some stuff, some experiences that he's had, and something that he's putting together that I'm really excited about and that you're going to hear me talk a lot about here very soon in the near future. So, Adam, what's up, brother? How you doing? Hey, what's up, man? How are you? Uh, doing great, man. I appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedule to come talk with us. Um, so let's dive into this. First yeah. things first, tell our listeners who you are, what you're about, where you're from, a little bit about yourself. Yeah. My name is Adam Zafudo. I'm from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Um, I'm a husband, I'm a father, I'm a veteran, I'm a jiu-jitsu practitioner, and I have uh, recently become a proponent of psychedelic medicines and how they can change our perspectives and how they can um, help us heal. I love, first off, thank you for your service again. Yeah, and uh, I, I'm going to dive into this. This, this, yeah. this let, let's, let's just go right for it. <laughs> the psychedelic alternative medicines that yeah. we're starting to hear more and more about. Now, I first, le- I first learned about psychedelic medicines when I worked for the task force, um, as when I was in the uh, Arizona Guard, and we would, you know, you had the Dare program. I'm dating mm-hmm. myself here, but you, you had the Dare program. Oh, I'm, as a, a I'm kid, a, right? I'm you Dare kid as well. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you had the Dare program back in the day, and we would come in after the Dare officers and talk, kind of like uh, talk a little bit more about the cause and effects of drugs and alcohol on the central nervous system right yeah and a lot of the drugs that you talked about were drugs like your standard like marijuana uh and then you have like your psychedelics like lsd mdma um and and the list goes on right yeah, yeah. all bad for you like we're just taught like it's all bad well okay let's look at the last say 10 years we've seen the effects and the positive outcome of what uh cbd or hemp has done People. Now, when people say marijuana, they don't. A lot of people are misconstrued. There's two strands of it. You have the THC, which is the tetrahydrocannabinol, and then you mm-hmm. have the CBD, which is what they extract that turns it into like oils, and, and that's more the healing process, right? Yeah. Now you get into like it opens it's the door. Uh, oh yeah, go ahead. CBD is um, THC is uh, has like neurological effects, right? So it'll affect your you know, your nervous system will affect your, your thought patterns right. and things like that. Whereas CBD is, has no, um, psychoactive. Right. Effect. Right. Yeah, and so it, like, is, it is, it's great. Like, like the CBD has yeah. been great for arthritis and, yeah. and, and stuff like that. I have arthritis. I use CBD products mm-hmm. uh, and whatnot. And, and, and they actually label, uh, marijuana as a, uh, they, they say it's a, a depressant and a, it's a mild hallucinogenic meaning that like five minutes can seem like five, you yeah. know, five hours or, or vice versa. But 
But then you have like some of the stronger stuff is what we used to like. Now you get into some of the good stuff, right? That's what we used to used to say because you you get on some of the stuff and and really what it was is like you know LSD. You I've heard horrible stories on that mm-hmm. MDMA, which is um, ecstasy, yep. uh, and and abusing that. I've literally I've seen what that that effect does. It it, it cooks your body from the inside out. Yeah. But that's if you're that's like you know it's mostly common. Uh, like the rave drug, you see them at raves right. and stuff like that. You know, like yeah. you know, glow like sticks that. and loud music stuff like that. Yeah. But here, here's the thing: let's. You have stuff like MDMA. You have stuff like cocaine, even LSD. These are all things that have been used in the medical field for as long as you know, many, many years. You can look this up. Don't take my word for it. Look this stuff up. And I met a gentleman. This was oh, Adam. This must have been about. Five, six years ago now, I was at a conference, and he was a, a Army veteran, one of our brothers, and he was sharing his story on, uh, he, had, he was suicidal, stuck a gun in his mouth, pulled the trigger, and it misfired. And it, that woke him up. Like, yeah, uh, let that resonate for a minute, folks. Yeah. He got onto a, uh, some government thing that they were doing testing MDMA and in, in microdosing yeah. at the time. And he said when he got on it, I uh, did it for, for several months, he hasn't had any flashbacks. He hasn't had any nightmares. He, he hasn't had any issues since. Mind you, this was five years ago. So you have some experience a little bit as well in that. Are you? Can you share some of your experience with with that yeah, yeah. and how it went for for you and what like? Can you walk us through what that's like? Yeah. So I think there's two things we should look at initially. I think the first is is let's look at MDMA first, right? It was developed by either Bayer or Merck Pharmaceuticals okay. in 1910 as an aid to psychotherapy, right? So it was specifically designed, and then that's how it was being used by licensed psychotherapists as a tool to help with psychotherapy. It was really, really well thought of in that community. And then in the 80s, it kind of made its way out of the therapeutic and healing usage of it and made it out into the party scene. Oh, and then hold, you, hold on. Let me, let me back up uh, for a second because you said it. Created it in 1910. Yes. Yeah. And then in the 80s. Yes. So we're talking a 70-year stretch there where it was used. Yep. We could argue say it was used properly. Yes. Properly, I think, is the, the word. Therapeutically. Th- therapeutically. Yeah. And then in the 80s, excuse my language. Yeah. Shit hits the fan. Shit hits the fan. It gets out of the cage and it gets into the party scene. Okay. And you start having deaths. Because MDMA does raise your body temperature a small amount, but when it's used in the therapeutic way, it's it's you know not even a light fever. Right. But when you combine that raise in body temperature with a mass of people dancing in an enclosed space, right. the temperatures are going to go up, and then it's also they're not drinking water, and right. it is generally dehydration, heat stroke that that causes this. That scares everybody. Right. And then the government goes and puts it as a, um, a Schedule One drug, adds it into the National Psychedelics Act, and all of this therapeutic use gets immediately 
slashed in half. Now that's where a guy named Rick Doblin comes into the story. Rick Doblin had is the um, he's the scientist who put together all of the MDMA trials mm-hmm. that um, are being really, really looked at now because he's the guy who got the FDA to admit that this is a breakthrough therapy for post-traumatic stress disorder, depression, and anxiety. And it was really great how he did that. Is he specifically used our the trauma that we had seen in the war and the trauma of veterans that we as a nation want to support our veterans. We want to heal our veterans. And you were having guys come back with treatment-resistant PTSD, and they were not seeing any benefits from anything else. And he said, why not just let me try? Let me do a statistical study on this. And he did the phase one, and they saw these outlandish results. It was like 90-some percent of the participants had a statistical reduction in their post-traumatic stress symptoms. And something like two thirds had would then be classified after this as no longer having PTSD. Yeah. Yeah. That's something that SSRIs, anything else, cannot even come close to touching those kind of numbers. Same thing in phase two, where they opened up the trial instead of just being post traumatic stress disorder from veterans, they also included post traumatic stress from sexual assault and rape survivors. Right. Saw the exact same results. Phase three, they expand this even wider, and it's the exact same results. And that's what got the FDA to admit that it was a breakthrough therapy. You know, so I got to back up here a second, and I'm not going to try to get too political on this, but it's like the fact that you had mentioned that it it was started in 1910, pushed Mm -hmm. all the way. The 80s kind of broke out into the club scenes and the party scenes and whatnot. And then that's when the government said, oh, there's deaths. Now we have to crack down on this. And and not to, you know again not to be you know like a conspiracy theorist or whatnot. A lot of those probably the government had something to do with it breaking out into the scene. At the same time, you have to follow the money mm-hmm. as well. The fact that we we've been able to kind of harness this in and bring this in and use this as a treatment and and, and I don't want I want to make a a, a point here because when Adam's explaining this when somebody is using this treatment, there's two big things that that are key here. One, it's under supervision, I'm assuming, right? Very strict supervision. And, and then two, it's not like you're popping a whole pill. It's, it's, it's or, or the potency that you're going to get at a club or at a, at a, at a party or anything You know like that. exactly what you're getting. Yeah. Whereas the, you take an ecstasy pill at a club. Yeah the chances of it being pure MDMA are very slim and it will most likely be a combination of MDMA, cocaine. Yeah. It's always always laced with something. There's something laced, laced with, with right. With something else. And, uh, so are are these, is it, do they consider this treatment then like micro dosing of it? Is it a small course? It is a, um, when you would talk about microdosing for like uh, psilocybin, yeah. like psilocybin mushrooms of microdosing, you would take one-tenth of a dose that would get you to the – so three and a half grams of mushrooms will send you on a journey. A journey. You are going on a journey and there is – you're going to have to wait five hours to come back to reality. Yeah. You know, So a microdose is generally um, 0.3. Okay. Uh, so it's 0.3. So it's a tenth of a dose. Now, I have – become also a proponent of this microdosing and that like 
you do a, a small protocol of day on, couple days off, day on, couple days off, right. couple days on, couple days off. And the effects are like, I describe it as being right at the edges of your periphery. It's it's not like I'm high. It's not like I smoked a joint. It's not like I um, drank a pot of coffee. It's just this right here at the edges of your perception, just a lightness to your being. You feel a little bit happier. You feel like you're oh, a little bit better able to, to cope with the stresses of life. You're able to think more freely. And that is, um, I think, a direct effect of how the psilocybin affects the brain is it helps the brain to create new neural pathways inside of nice and, and promotes neurogenesis which is something that we were told for decades that oh once you kill brain cells you can't grow them back well like, the science is now showing that psilocybin promotes neurogenesis so it promotes healing in the brain and so for as somebody who's been hit by a hand grenade you know had a hand grenade go off over me like those things are those are Things to me like oh well any way that I can heal my brain I will uh, yeah uh, yeah yeah you know yeah. and so that's where um yeah so so I think we should get a little bit back to like how I got yeah let's let's I want, so okay. how did you so you how did that start or how how did you hear about it and then what what was the you know you're on a show called the decision okay. or I'll ask this question again later but what 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 prompted that decision to yeah give this a go. I think this, you know, I did combat tour in Iraq where we were getting ambushed a lot um, and then a combat tour in Afghanistan. And it was after my tour in Iraq, my mother said something to me and she said, uh, she like looked at me and said, oh, your eyes have changed. And that to me was like this shot to my heart. Like, oh my God, like my, mom's, my eyes. Have it was like the hardening of a human being. Yeah. From combat. You yeah. can see it in their eyes. Oh. And it's that, um, that photo, that, that artist from the second world war who drew that that beautiful painting the ten thousand yard stare right oh yeah yeah soldier at okinawa and the tanks are firing at the ridge behind him and you can see it in his eyes the the hardness and that's what i had been. there's a picture of me and my brother right when i got back from afghanistan and we were at a pittsburgh pirates baseball game and my brother is like smiling and elated and so happy and i'm sitting there with this like trying to put a smile on my face but after having been in afghanistan for nine months you know you have this hardening of your soul and this hardening of your of your humanity right and it was the um i think the first thing is like realizing that there was something wrong it was a big thing for me as i was coming home um from afghanistan on leave for christmas or something um and i was walking through the airport in pittsburgh and there's a big central rotunda in the middle and there was a, an advertisement for the Wounded Warrior Project. And it said, not all wounds are visible. And I'm walking through and I see that. And the first thing that went through my head is, shit, somebody knows. Somebody knows that I'm not all right. And I started crying. And I had to retreat to a quiet corner of the airport, compose myself and go like, hey, sergeant, you better get your shit together and get yeah. on the train and go home, yeah. you know? And so that's a moment for me of being like, oh, there is something wrong. These two combat tours have done a number on, done a number on me. So I, uh, I, I did talk therapy for about six years and saw great effects from that. 
jujitsu is another thing that helped me get back into my physical health and to, to having those deep, close connections of like shared suffering with another human being. Yeah. Of like you get those connections in a jujitsu gym of like guys that you have been practicing killing each other, literally, you know, and it's this shared struggle of doing something incredibly difficult together that builds like real companionship. And so that was to me a big thing of like building these companionships. I think the, when it became like, oh, I need to do, I need to move on to what is the next thing of healing is the fall of Afghanistan. That was, and I think for a lot of veterans of the war in Afghanistan, seeing what now we're, you know, we are right here at. Almost um, a one year anniversary. One year. Yeah. And I think it was a year ago yesterday, those Marines. Yeah were killed um and 176 afghans who were just trying to get to freedom yeah. were killed by an al-qaeda suicide bomber in the fall of afghanistan and how that happened and watching that whole thing collapse it, it reminded me of this you know like oh it was so emotionally painful to watch that happen to have my interpreters asking me is there anything you can do and this was my daughter was born and um, on July 30th, and I remember holding my daughter in the hospital and getting a text message from one of my interpreters, a guy who is a wonderful, wonderful human being, lives in Dallas, Texas, Salam Rahmani. And he, uh, he texted me and he said, brother, is there anything you can do to help me get my family out? Afghanistan's getting very, very bad. And so I kind of went through the experience of becoming a father at the same time that Afghanistan was collapsing. And I would spend my nights up until three or four in the morning taking in groups of the all of the information that I could get from them, of their family members, their passports, their Tuskegee, like all of their data, yeah. and trying to send that over. And we had some connections in a Congressman Connor Lamb's office who helped us send those names up to the State Department and try to get some of these people out. And I worked with a, uh, a great group of veterans who poured their heart and soul into trying to save these people as that country collapsed. And um, we were able to get some of them onto the airfield and to safety. But unfortunately, we left a lot of people behind. Yeah. And that, to me, was this moment of, it felt like this massive failure, this massive um, moment in my life where I felt like I had failed. I had failed in this deep, deep way that I wasn't able to get these people to safety. What more could I have done to help these people? What could I have done to try to, to make Afghanistan stand ready against the Taliban? And it, those regrets were just eating at me. And I ended up um, having a conversation with my wife's cousin, and she is a, a wonderful, wonderful human being who utilizes and works with plant medicine and people um, in leading them and guiding them through this journey. And with a, a wonderful group out in California that, that you know, they've been doing this for years. Yeah. They've been doing this and they've been healing and helping people. And it was kind of in that moment where I said, like, I am so deeply wounded from what happened in Afghanistan. And I don't think that 
another six years of talk therapy is going to get me to the point where I feel okay with this. Right. So I was seeking out that next step, healing, right. step in the healing journey. And so for me, it was, um, I guess my decision hour would be like the fall of Afghanistan of saying like, this is not all right. I'm not okay. And I need to do something because I need to be the best father possible for my daughter. I need to be the best husband possible for my wife. And I need to be the best possible version of myself. Yeah. Because I deserve it. Abs yeah. And that's, you know, it's hard to believe it's been a year already. Yeah. One. Two, I just read a book that talked a little bit about that from a bunch of military uh, guys. Uh, it was Tim Kennedy's book in the group that he went over with and, and how certain things didn't transpire according to plan and a lot of people were left back and and how that made some people feel and, and whatnot. And then, and then hearing it from you right now is, is kind of like, you know, I wasn't an Afghan guy. I, I was an Iraq guy in 03. And um, yeah, can't can't even fathom that thought, you know. And it's kind of like, you know, we've been there for so long. I can't help but to feel what you guys are feeling in a sense of, damn, you know, you you want to help out, and you're literally tens of thousand miles away, and you're trying to yeah. figure out what you can do. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Okay. So. You talk to your wife's cousin. Yeah. She kind of educates you on this process a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. We have a couple calls and the, uh, I met with the, with Attila and Alex, the people at the healing center there in California. And, um, I met with them and we talked about some of my experiences. Um, and we talked about, can you say where in California? Yeah. It's, uh, Santa Cruz. Okay. All right. Yeah. Yeah. They have, it's a, it's a, Quite a quite a remarkable thing being there in the Monterey Bay. Um, you know, your day after is a it's a very you're still kind of in that yeah you're blown away by the the profundity of the moment. Yeah, but being there in Monterey Bay was um it's a beautiful place to be to to uh, to to take in all of the healing that's available. And so we we have a couple conversations. I kind of make the decision that like, no, I am I'm very interested in this. I've heard enough from the scientific side. I've, I've looked at the data. I've heard enough. I've seen Rick Doblin go on Joe Rogan and talk about it. And I said like, okay, this is, this is for me. Now that they were doing it in a very medicalized, um, they do it in a, in a hospital in a medical setting and right. you're there with psychologists and you're laying down on a, you're laying down on like a, a doctor's bed and that's how they did it. I, I wouldn't say I have an aversion to the medical community, but I have a um, a bit of a bone to pick because a lot of times when you go to the VA about things, they'll offer you just about anything that you're uh, that you could wrap your mind around from getting getting out of the like getting out of the army. I had a back injury, like a lot of us infantrymen do, and uh, basically got like offered a lifetime prescription of oxycontin. Yeah. That nothing, to me was, nothing. It, 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 and that's oh my god, you brought up the VA. I have to. Like it, it, they do stuff where it's like, here, this will shut you. It, it's basically this will shut you up. That's it, like that's the attitude I've taken 
for it. You know, I've had issues with injuries and stuff that I've had to fight for the last, you know, since 2012 mm-hmm. on appeals and stuff. And it's like, you know, I, this didn't happen any other time. I was fine prior to this and this, this happened at this time and it's, it's documented and you still said no. Like how, you know, it, it's just, and then here, take this, take this. No, I'm not, I'm not going to take that because I know no. what the cause and effects is. Like you eventually and with the side effects of a may cause suicidal thoughts. <laughs> well, what the fuck are you giving it for me for then? Yeah. And, um, I think some people don't realize the, um, kind of the craziness inside of the VA sometimes where like, let's, let's literally, let's talk about me. I, uh, my right ankle is a service connected disability from being in the infantry and rolling my ankle more times than I can count wearing a hundred pounds of armor and equipment, wearing a rucksack, doing all that right ankle service connected, left ankle, not service connected. So both I got it looked at, you know, by the VA orthopedics and the guy says, Oh yeah, left ankle, three torn ligaments. They had to do surgery to basically put my ankle back together. You know, and he says, oh, you have the exact same damage in your right ankle. So whenever you want to get that surgery done, you know, we'll do that one as well. But they didn't service connect my left ankle. They service connected my right ankle. Exact same damage. Exact same damage in both. But so my, my, my question would always be to anyone at the VA, like, did I hop around on one leg for yeah. six years? Like, yeah, let's, let's think about it rationally. <laughs> But that is one of the things that I've seen in the VA. And I don't like to beat up on the VA because I think a lot of times they are overworked. They have too they have too wow. many patients and not enough it, it, clinicians. I don't think it, I, I don't think you're looking at the people that work at the VA. I think it's the higher it's ups different. that run the VA. Is it, let's be clear on that. There's a lot of great people that work at the VA, and yeah. Adam and I are not downplaying well, the VA for the people. We're not talking bad about the the people that work with the VA it's the bureaucratic BS that's involved with it is what we're complaining about so I just want to be clear on that yeah uh, and it is it, it becomes systematized yeah and you do and a lot of guys say this and I felt the exact same way as I felt like a number I felt like I was patient number six today and patient number six meets this 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 and this so he qualifies for that and here's a drug here's this yeah, yeah. and it was like I said, it was a lifetime prescription of Oxycontin for a back injury that I said, like, eh, actually, I think I'm going to try, you know, yoga. Yeah. Do something. Yeah. Let me do it myself. Let me try some yeah. other things before I take legal heroin yeah. for the rest. And of God time. forbid that they help you with the chiropractic. And now they do, but it's like one visit a month or something, something stupid. And it's like, I need to go like twice a week, you know? Yeah. So, so I God, a great God, guy here in Pittsburgh who yeah, yeah. once a week and he, Worked out yeah. a lot of scar tissue and damage in but, my lower back. But, but yeah. see, that's but that's the thing, Adam. The, the, the problem with that is now you're talking about well, you're talking about kind of like the Western medicine, yeah. you know, type stuff like yoga and, yeah. and chiropractic care and stuff like that. You know, stuff that they can't make money on. Mm-hmm. That's I mean, let's face it, again, folks. That's that's you know the reason reason being. So you go have this experience. Yeah, so I had three. I've had three MDMA experiences. Okay. Uh, now, how long does it last? Uh, the MDMA experience lasts about four hours. So, is this like a? This isn't an outpatient thing, or is it? Yeah, 
Yeah, so I go to Is their, it really? So you go, I go in to that like, place yeah? in Santa Cruz. Um, and like I said, that the way that Rick Doblin and, and they did the study that got the FDA to admit this is breakthrough therapy is very medicalized. This was more of a ceremony. This is a healing ceremony. So there's relaxing music playing and um, yeah, and you're laying there on a bed and you um, the big thing with psychedelics is is what is your set and setting, right? Where are you at and what are your intentions, right? And so setting an intention prior to the psychedelic journey is like really the most important thing because it's something to ground yourself and it's something to return yourself to. And so my first MDMA experience was on February 15th um, of this year. And it was one of the most profound moments in my life to, you know, I had gone there with the idea of like, oh, I'm going to set my intention on this and that and seeking this and looking for that. And it was like, no, when I got there, what felt, what felt right was to set my intention on accepting a healing path, accepting a healing journey. Okay. And so I, uh, took the MDMA and then, uh, put a blindfold on, lay down on a bed and the uh, the guy I was working with Attila, it's like I think that can call him my guide, you know, in this. And uh, yeah, and so the MDMA experience starts with uh, I think like a lot of people, they go like, when is it gonna kick in? And here's the thing for anybody who eventually goes and, and does an MDMA experience. When you start having the thought of, did I get a dud? When is this going to kick in? Hold on. Yeah. Because it's about to start. It's like, and so for me, every time it's like, oh, when is it going to start? And then you go like, oh. Yeah. And for me, it was like, I, I was like rubbing my chest and being like, oh, it's so firm. <laughs> right like yeah, it's pretty funny and i was like oh and then i just like i just said to attila i said oh it's starting and he just kind of laughed and he said yes it is brother yes it is um and so like as the experience started to build up i could not so much see because i'm wearing a blindfold but feel i was building balls of love and of light with my hands and then pulling them into my heart and then building a ball of love, breathing it into my soul. And then the experience starts to come. And as the MDMA starts to really take effect, you feel it through your whole body. And then you start to have the um, kind of the mental imaging yeah. that starts to come. And so I started to see moments of my experience in Iraq was the first thing. It was an experience I had in Iraq where I was the rear gunner on a truck and we were doing a mounted, dismounted patrol. So we had our dismounts out in front of the convoy. And we had four M8 MRAPs, uh, the old Cayman M-A-T. Yeah, so we had those and I was the rear gunner. And my driver, Noah Price, as we're rolling down this street called uh, Northbridge, if anybody's 
ever been to the beautiful city of Hawija, Iraq, you will know what Northbridge is. And that is where we got into the majority of our contacts was on this street called Northbridge. So we're going down Northbridge and Noah starts telling me like, hey, man, watch that kid. This kid's been following us for a couple of blocks. Fucking like, what is he doing? So I kind of get my eyes on him and I'm watching him to keep my eyes. And now it was, you're the rear gunner. That was generally the guy who was going to get hit by right. something. So you're scanning and those in a city like Iraq, I think people think like you see the turret and you see the turret armor and everything like that's great. But the truth is, is Adam, I was having to stand up yeah. out of my turret standing on the gunner seat so you can look over the side of the truck and see everything and so the convoy and our patrol gets halted and this kid walks up to the right side of the vehicle and i can see him it looks like he has like a gatorade bottle in his pocket right right and i see him playing with it and he pulls it out and it's a it's a russian 60 millimeter mortar round that had the fuses taken out and they put a Russian grenade fuse in. And that was kind of typical for what we were being hit with a lot was yeah. was like uh, improvised hand grenades created out of mortar rounds and things like that. Um, and so I drew down on this kid and he had no idea that I had the, I already had the drop on. Yeah. And so I start screaming into my mic, Noah, get the, get the guys back here. Like, I'm going to fucking have to kill this kid. I'm going to shoot this kid. And, um, you know, I take my rifle off safe. I'm starting to take the slack out of my trigger and I have my EOTech right on this kid's face. And in that moment, I made the decision to kill this kid. I'm going to kill a nine-year-old boy. The moment that grenade comes out of his pocket, he's dead. And in that moment, he looked up at me. He looked down the street and saw all of our dismounts running at him, and he turned and he, feet feet, and took off running. And in that moment of him taking off running, the adrenaline dump hit me. And I like almost collapsed down into my turret. That, that is a moment of like, not only of relief, but of like, oh my God, what did I just like accept into my life? Yeah. And like, it starts to really hit me when I get back to the outpost yeah. of like, oh, you decided to kill a nine-year-old kid. Yeah. You're a monster. And so that was this thing that I had carried with me for years, for years, for years of like, I'm a monster. I made a decision to kill a kid. Who does that? Who would make that decision? Through a lot of talk therapy and you, you get around to the, you put some context around it. And like the true monster in that situation isn't me. It's not that kid. It's the son of a bitch who gave a nine-year-old a hand grenade and told yeah. him to go throw it at the Americans. Right. Because he didn't care if it killed me. What he wanted me to do was kill that kid. So because the whole city was yep. fucking erupted yep. over a nine-year-old being shot dead by the Americans. Yeah. And that's what they wanted to do. And so I'm seeing this experience again in my MDMA journey. I'm seeing the whole thing. So you're reliving it. Reliving it. Now, I think... a. A good thing to, to add into this is it's not so, so scary the second time because you've already been there. Right. No, like, okay, this is, I am just. You, you know what happens. You know what happens. I'm experiencing this again. That's okay. I'm here. And I would, I would be, the, I think the way that I described it 
best was it was like I was watching a movie. Of all of these, inter- I was watching the movie of this happen. And I could, I could press pause on the movie if I like open my eyes behind the blindfold and put my hand on the ground. I would kind of, oh, that's right, ground myself. That's right, I'm in Santa Cruz, California. Okay. But when I took my hand off and I closed my eyes again, took you back. I, I couldn't fast forward. Couldn't fast forward. I just had to watch it. And it was like, you have to watch this because here comes the lesson, right? As that kid takes off running, I get hit with a wave of the only thing that I can describe it as is the love that I will feel when I meet Jesus Christ at the end of my life. A wave of love and of acceptance that started at my head, flowed down to my heart, and then exploded out through all of my limbs. Love and acceptance. Love and acceptance. Love and acceptance. And it just washes over you. Waves of love and of acceptance. And then, then, yeah, and then the next the next experience starts. Yeah. The next thing starts. And, th- and this goes on for about four hours. Yeah, for about four hours it goes on. And after each experience, you could press pause, but you can't fast forward. Right. You have to hit play and you, you have, have to watch to go, You have to, go you have to see it. You have to go through it. And so as all of these things, I start seeing these experiences from Iraq and Afghanistan and... um. And that for me was like each one I'd like see, learn the lesson, and then get hit with a wave of love and of acceptance. Right. And then uh, kind of at the end of the MDMA experience, it it starts to be less, for me at least, it started to be less of a um, a uh, reliving of things. And it, it kind of moved from an experience of, Something that I had seen in Afghanistan where we had ambushed a Taliban patrol um, and my mortar was firing illumination rounds over this ambush. And so we kind of watched a Taliban patrol get wiped out by an ANA platoon. And so I was seeing that kind of from the same, in the same way. But then it became more of like a psychedelic thing of like, I saw the ANA turn into lions. And I saw these lions going after the Taliban. And it was like, oh, well, I didn't see that. <laughs> you know, I didn't see that. I saw a Taliban patrol get wiped out in Afghanistan, but I didn't see that. And so that's where it became kind of like a little bit more of the, like pe- what people would think about like a psychedelic. Yeah. Right? And then uh, at the end of it, you start to get a little bit, um, more into the, the creation of the things that are coming in your mind. And that's where it starts to return me back to that intention I said at the beginning of this, of accepting a healing journey. And so at the end of this MDMA experience, I, I saw myself walking, right? Okay. It, and it, this is a thing about the, the psychedelic experience that I, until you have one, it's, it's hard to... Hard to explain where people can visualize it. Yeah. And so the best way to do it is a picture is worth a thousand words. Yeah. And so you see pictures in your mind or you see something in your mind and you just kind of intuitively know the entirety of the story. And so I saw myself walking down a pathway. Now, the the Robert Frost poem about 
two roads diverged in a oh, road. Yeah. I chose one oh, way. Yeah. Now that for me is a very meaningful poem because I kind of took the road less traveled in, in my town. I, I grew up in a wonderful, you know, upper middle class suburb of, you know, of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, where my high school prided themselves on the amount, the, the, the statistics of 99% of our kids go on to college. And I was part of that 99% until I was like, we're in the middle of a war and I'm dropping out of college and a lot like Chris Taylor in Platoon. Yeah. You know, I wasn't learning anything. Right. So I dropped out. I joined the army, joined the infantry, asked for combat. I couldn't ask for Vietnam, but it was Iraq or Afghanistan. That's a great reference. You know, <laughs> that to me was like the, you know, and I had buddies of mine in the army, you know, but a good, good, good friend of mine, Clark Becker, who said to me, you know, like we would watch Platoon every night. He would always say like, you giving up college? Yeah. Well, I'm, I gave it up to be here with you, brother. You know, I gave it up to be here with you, Clark. And so for me, I, I, I got this picture of myself walking down a path. And yeah. it was like very clear to me that I had been on a war path for a dozen years. And it struck me like, oh, it was, it's been about a dozen years since you joined the army. Yeah. You've been on the war path for a dozen years. And then I reached a branch in the path. And I could look down the path. And I could see the path ahead of me. And what I saw was old veterans. I saw veterans of the First World War and the Second World War, and Korea and Vietnam and Desert Storm and the current conflicts, Iraq and Afghanistan. But they were all old men. They were old men, but they were wearing their combat uniforms. You know? Okay. Like, like a... Uh, You've seen the videos and the photos of those, like the old paratroopers yep. in their 80s and 90s. Yep. They get them a nice, crest. and it was like that. But they were wearing their combat equipment, okay. okay? And they were playing war. They were playing war like a child would play war, okay? And it to me was this thing of like, oh, these guys are still on the war path. They've been on the war path their entire they never, life. They never, they never, they never came back. And they're still trying to relive this experience. And then I looked down the other path, and it was a path of healing. And I made the decision that I'm going to go down the healing path. I'm going to take a healing path. I'm going to give up the war path. I'm going to give up this path of, I'm no longer going to try to pretend that I'm still a soldier. Right. Still the, trying to you, be at war. You made that Play decision. Game, yeah. I'm going to take a healing path. And that to me was like, and in that, the thing that I heard, kind of like you're in your mind is, you are a warrior on a healing journey now. You are a warrior on a healing journey now. And then waves of love and of acceptance, of accepting a healing journey in my life. And that, uh, that was the first MDMA experience for me. Um, and I think it, it'd be good to talk about all three of them because all they were all very different. And that's something for a lot of people is the, the MDMA experience isn't one thing. It can be very different. And it's not the, it's not the same, my understanding, because I, I got a friend of, friend of mine that literally just went through this as we speak. He's mm -hmm. coming back. He was down in, uh, uh, out in California, and then yep. they went down to, to Mexico just on the other side yep. there to, to do it. 
Uh, and he's coming back right now. Actually, he just texts. It's like, hey, I'm on my way back. I'll call you later this afternoon. And yeah. I'm, I'm eager to hear his experience yeah. Yeah. And, and what with it because it's 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 one. It's different for everybody. And if you've done it multiple times, like Adam has done, he just said it's it's different each time as well. It's not right. And I and I've heard that from other people as as well. Adam, I I want to make sure we cover this because we're coming up yeah. on time here a little bit. This experience for you yeah. kind of prompted something that you're kind of putting together. You're putting together this this, this project um, that we've we've talked offline yeah. before. It's an adventure retreat that you're yeah. that you're looking to do uh, yeah. here coming up in in 2023. Yep. Share with us more about what what is it? Yeah. So. In those MDMA experiences, kind of in my second one and in my third one, I saw what it is that I really want to be doing. And I saw that I want to be working with veterans and I want to be helping veterans remember what it's like to be adventurous and to live and to be excited about what they're doing and to get out of their comfort zone. And all of our growth is found in moments of, you know, being on, getting uncomfortable, getting out of your comfort zone and getting out and doing things that are outside of your daily, outside of your normal. So I'm putting together a retreat to uh, Zion National Park in March, where we'll be working with a uh, a guide service out there to set up some rock climbing, some canyoneering, taking e-bikes all around the park, like a visit up to, to Angel's Landing. And all of that focused around, like, what is the experience and what changes can you make in your life from a profound experience? It doesn't just have to be psychedelics. Profound experiences in nature can change our perspectives. Profound experiences in our life change the way that we see the world. We were talking about this before we, we recorded. They said, like, becoming a father is a very profound experience. Yeah. It changes your perspective. It changes how you see the world. Combat changes the way that you see the world. Psychedelics change the way you see the world. Profound experiences in nature. Going out to our beautiful national parks and having these profound experiences where it changes the way that you see the world and that for me was i went on a um uh an adventure retreat kind of similar to what we were building uh in the grand canyon and i loved it and i thought it was great being out and you you get a little bit of a uh you see the scale of the grand canyon and you go like oh yeah. my problems are fucking silly to be worried about that like look at the grandiosity of this look how beautiful this is and one of the things that I that I saw in that experience was a missed opportunity. It was a missed opportunity to like to go into this with an intention, like to set my intention on I'm going to do this because I want to make a significant change in my life. And that's kind of how I went into it. And I think it's it's something that I've um I've heard from a lot of people is there's a bit of PTSD tourism that, that goes on in our community. People who um they have all of these issues and they have all of these things and they uh they don't desire healing they desire just a trip of this or that a thing they're, they're not working towards healing they're right. not working towards making the substantial changes in their life that are actually going to move them forward and so that's what this adventure retreats about is how do we go into a profound experience like this where we know already we're going to get outside of our comfort zone we're going to do some things we haven't been doing you see, I haven't gone rock climbing in years. Yeah. You know, I haven't I haven't done any rappelling since like 
I don't know, Fort Bliss doing some stuff at the air assault school, like learning how to rappel down a tower, you know? And so things like that of like, hey, let's get out of our comfort zone and then let's focus our minds on, okay, wow. How has this experience changed my perspective? Right. How can I use experiences like this to move myself forward, to take on a new challenge? To say like, hey, I am desiring something different in my life and I would like to move forward with that. Or how do you overcome a challenge in your life? And I think the big part that we're we're looking to build is a collection of veterans together going through an experience like this because we all have things that we can share with each other. And that's one of the things that we talked about with, with you, Adam, is yep. I have a lot of veteran friends who want to start businesses. They want to get out there or they want to do their own thing. They're tired of working for somebody else. They want to do their own thing. But they don't know how. They don't know how to get started because they don't know anybody who's done it before. They don't know somebody who started this. Or maybe it's that they want to move toward a like toward a healing direction in their life. Well, I don't know anybody who's done that. How do I do that? Well, like, let's get together and let's talk about that. Yep. Because the chances are when you start opening up and you start being vulnerable and talking about the things that are bothering you, the issues that you're having, I guarantee it, somebody out there, another veteran has gone through the same thing or has gone through a similar experience and they can help you. And and a lot of the time, I'm going to go one further and say a lot of those, like I've always had a problem asking for help. And I, I'm not afraid to admit it. I've said this before. I'll say it right now. Like pride has gotten in my way a lot of times. But then I start thinking, somebody once told me, they're like, what if there's a veteran or somebody out there whose purpose in life is to help others and you're denying them yeah. their purpose by not letting them help you. Yeah. Like mind blown. I felt horrible <laughs> because I was, I was like, who the hell am I to deny somebody else? Like they're just being friendly and want to help. Yeah. And that's their, they have good intentions. And in, in, in doing that, and here I'm not letting them do that because I'm being, I was being selfish. Yeah. People want to help. Veterans want to help each other. We, we know intimately what it's like to suffer together, to help, to help build somebody up. Yeah. And it's one of the things like I just had, it, it, it's these beautiful moments being a veteran that like some of my guys that worked for me in Afghanistan in my mortar platoon, you know, they're still in. And they're doing excellent. And one of my guys, Sean Todd, just made sergeant first class. You know, and this is a kid who was a specialist, right? Yeah. He's a specialist when we were in Afghanistan. And now he's a fucking sergeant first class. Just made just made the list, you know? And he sent me a message like right after he said, hey, man, I, I made sergeant first class. I sent a message like, brother, I'm so fucking proud of you. That's cool, man. Congratulations. Yeah. I'm, and it's that thing of like, hey, take pride when your friends do well, yep. man, raise them up, support them, congratulate them, be proud of them, be happy for them, because that's what people need. Yep. Not only does raising somebody else, sure, man, everybody likes to get accolades and tell, have somebody tell them, like, doing great, I'm proud of you. But it also is for yourself. Yep. Where you can say, like, no, 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 I'm the type of guy that I don't tear people down. Nope. I lift people up. I celebrate. You know? Yeah. And, um, there was, I was listening to a Joe Rogan podcast and he had uh, this guy, Josh Dubin on and Josh Dubin works with the innocence project and getting wrongfully convicted individuals out of jail. And he had on this like remarkable man who did 
20 some years in prison for two murders he did not commit and finally got himself out. And this guy is like a, um, he's like one of the most prolific jailhouse lawyers in America. This guy basically like works to get wrongfully convicted people out of jail. And Josh Dubin said something on the the program that like, when I heard it, I had to play it back a couple of times because it was like, Oh, that's, that's profound. And he said, when I find myself in moments of questioning, I ask myself, if not me, then who? And if not now, then when? Right? And that was like, ah, yeah. Makes yeah. Sense. If not me, then who? And for me, it is this thing of like, I saw in my MDMA journeys a pathway forward where I can help lead other veterans. Would you go as far as to say it's your purpose? Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the, the clarity that comes inside of an MDMA experience is um and it's partially because of the the effects that MDMA has on the brain. It it physically shuts down the fear centers of the amygdala. So you cannot process fear. You don't feel fear while you're under MDMA, like on the, the MDMA experience. And for a couple of days after you just you're not afraid. You're not afraid to be open and to share with people. It was one of those moments of like, I walked into a bar to, to grab a bite to eat in this little town in SoCal, California, and struck up a conversation with the bartender. And turns out he was 101st oh. in the same place that I was in Afghanistan a year prior. And we started talking. We started opening up to each other about our experience and the difficulties that we've had. And it was like, holy shit, man, just by opening up and talking about and being vulnerable about my own experiences, I was able to, to meet a new friend. Yeah. Share something with him to say, like, hey, man, we're all going through it together. Right. You know? And that, to me, is like this thing of, like, when we decide that we can open up and we decide that we can be vulnerable and we can share, if not me, then who? Right. I, I, I had the wonderful opportunity to do this, so I have to share openly about it. And I have to say, like, man, I saw my purpose in that MDMA journey of building these adventure retreats, of building these retreats to help connect other veterans to each other because we work so much better. We solve our own problems when we work together as a team. And also I saw that, like, like you said, the purpose, Yeah. I saw the, the strength of the purpose in the same way that I felt when I was a Sergeant in the army of like, this is what I am meant to do. And it was to help bring plant medicine to more veterans to help bring things like psilocybin, MDMA journeys, ayahuasca journeys to veterans because it is i have found immense immense healing and more and more people are, are yeah. doing these therapies and stuff adam yeah. what for the listeners that are listening to this how can they reach out to you how do they make contact with you they can shoot me an email adamzafudo at gmail.com okay they can find me on facebook we also have reengagepgh.com you can go there and find us there and we'll be putting up more information about the uh the Zion trip. And we're looking for uh, right around the end of March to be doing that. And uh, yeah, we have 10 spots open. Hopefully you'll be taking one of them. Yeah. Planning on it. Loving it. Loving it. Yeah. Yeah. But it is this thing of we can all really move forward together. We can help. And the the true essence of this is the healing. And that's something that you see in these MDMA and psychedelic journeys is the healing. All the healing you need is inside of you. Right. It's how do you unlock that? And, and I, I, listen, psych- psychedelics aren't going to be for everybody. 
Right. But here's a question that I have for everybody. Is profound experience something that you're interested in? Is getting out of your comfort zone and experiencing something different that excites you, that connects you back to an adventurous type of living, that it might be the thing that says, you know what? I am going to quit my job and I am going to go do that thing that I've always wanted to do because if not me, then who? If not now, then when? Like, Then when? When am I going to do this? When am I going to actually start living? You know, because for me, I saw the path. I saw the path that I could go down, that I could be an old man wearing my combat gear, playing war, still on the war path. Or I can go down and I can take this healing journey, this beautiful, beautiful healing journey where I can help lead other veterans. Yeah. And other veterans are going to help, help lead others. me. And in doing so, it creates that snowball effect where more and more people are getting help. And, and, and ultimately, I'll, I'll even say this, I'll argue and say that you're, you're making the world and society a more positive and a better place in doing so. Trying to. You know, trying and, to. You know, if we can all, you know, uh, an old maxim from the, the first sergeants of the world, like, you should always be improving your position. Yep. You should all, well, there's always a little bit more that we can do. We can hang that concertina wire a little better. We can dig that bunker a little bit deeper. We can fix those trench lines and make them a little more zig. First sergeants love that type of shit, you know? Well, how do you be a first sergeant in your own life? And how do you be a first sergeant in this world where you say to the world, like, oh, I'm going to improve my position every single day. And improving our position in this world is like, hey, how do we help lift our brothers up? How do we help make this world a better place? And for me, I think helping veterans to see a different pathway forward where it's not just having to take an SSRI every day for the rest of their life. Zoloft or Prozac or whatever they're putting people on. Right. Now, the second most prescribed medication in America is an antipsychotic that is used to boost SSRI. You know, that I think to me is a remarkably, remarkably crazy thing. And that speaks to our society, not just to veterans, but how we are treating the symptoms instead of treating the issue. And something like MDMA Three sessions, yeah, and there is a marked statistical deterioration of PTSD symptoms. And for two thirds of the people, they no longer have PTSD, and that's something so that those I can... numbers are phenomenal, folks. Phenomenal. You do not see that with SSRIs. You do not see that with any other type of treatment. And you're not going to see this on mainstream media. You're not going to see this, you know, coming out of the, the CDC or anything like that because there's a lot of the certainly not going to see it from big pharma yeah three treatments and and this is something that uh i've heard you know there's no money in healing people adam yeah that's the problem there's There's no money in healing you 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 end up working yourself out of a job but this is one of those things where like i would be honored to do that you know adam listen we're up on time i appreciate you taking uh, folks if you're listening um, we're going to have Adam's contact information and where you can find him on social media, the websites and stuff in the show notes below. Uh, but before we let you go, don't forget, check out all the great shows over at Heroes Media Group. Go to heroesmediagroup.com. Until next time, you've been listening to The Decision Act.